0: Welcome to The Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. This week we are talking about the newest addition to the Bond franchise, No Time to Die, uh, the final segment of the Daniel Craig uh, version of James Bond. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, But first, let's talk about some of the other movies that came out this week. So obviously, No Time to Die was the big movie that came out this week. Um, And there really weren't any other giant movies because nobody wanted to come out or release their movie against the Bond movie. But there were some interesting movies that had released this week. Um, One of them is the film Lamb. Uh, which I know, Danny, you had the chance to actually see. So I'm going to let you talk about it a little bit.
1: Yeah, Lamb is a movie that is based on kind of an Icelandic folktale. And how closely based it is on an Icelandic folktale is not super clear. I kind of did some reading about it. But essentially, it's being sold as a horror movie about this uh, couple that live, they're, they're farmers that live in this remote area, in iceland and they uh end up having a a lamb that gives birth to a kind of half lamb half human child and i'm not giving away anything there that's something that you can see in the trailer um but the rest of the movie is kind of about that i will say that there are elements of the movie that i think are fantastic and really interesting um i don't think that this is necessarily your typical horror movie it's pretty light on horror um it's more of just a kind of thought-provoking interesting tale about this family and ultimately I ended up giving it a six out of ten I think that it uh didn't go where I think it needed to go for this story to really resonate with me um I know that there are people that have really enjoyed this movie and have thought highly of it Right now, it has a 68 on Metascore and a 6.7 on IMDb. Um, So it is right, pretty much right in that same spot where I put it. Um, Yeah, so, but I'd be curious to know what you thought of it if you have time to see it, but I wouldn't say it's a must see by any means.
0: Yeah, it looks very interesting. I am quite intrigued. It seems like it fits a little bit into this maybe more thought-provoking horror genre that is starting to emerge over the last few years where it's not your classic horror movie, but uh, some kind of strange stories where they uh, ultimately are just trying to make you think about something on a deeper level Um, i am interested in it also because it's Numi rapace who was the original girl with the dragon tattoo um, who is one of the leads in the movie so at some point in time i probably will check this out i'm imagining it will probably won't it probably won't be until uh after it has um, been released video on demand or on one of the streaming services but uh, it does look very interesting Looks kind of unsettling. Um, I am pretty interested to see it. Uh, I think this is a nice segue into another movie that came out in limited release this week. It is a movie that both of us saw, but it, it also falls within that horror genre. And that is the film Knocking, which we saw at the Sundance Film Festival this past year. And uh, to be completely honest, I I thought it was a pretty decent horror movie. Um, I know we talked a little bit about it, I think. Uh, when we did our review of Woman in the Window, um, because it, they, they have similar sort of theme or tone to it. Um, and I actually liked this film a lot better than The Woman in the Window. I just thought it was uh, a more to the point and uh, frankly, better made um, movie in that kind of similar genre. I ended up giving the film a uh, seven- uh the premise of the film is a woman leaves a psychiatric ward after a nervous breakdown only to start hearing mysterious knocking sounds in her apartment what'd you end up thinking of that movie Danny
1: I also gave it a seven out of ten and uh you know it's interesting to compare it to a movie like Lamb because I think both are kind of introspective and definitely focused on character and how uh, a character's past might influence kind of the decisions they make in the present and uh, that was a really interesting aspect but honestly it's a it felt like there was like a element of the story that I, I felt like there was like a missing piece that there needed to be some other part of the story that was maybe a beeline of the movie um, to kind of go back to that other part just to kind of it was it was almost so straightforward that I wanted something else in there to kind of spice it up a little bit
0: yeah and it's only an hour and 18 minute movie so there was plenty of room to be able to expand on it it felt maybe more like a great short film premise that they ended up trying to make into a feature length mm-hmm. and so that ultimately probably held it back a little bit um another movie that came out this week that i saw or in uh at sundance but hasn't made a uh, wide release yet is the film Mass, which has been getting absolutely amazing reviews across the board from critics. Um, And I really liked it. Uh, It it currently has an 8 on IMDb. I gave it an 8. And the Metascore is a 79. I don't think that it gets any more uh, consistent than that. Uh, And this is a film that we, we end up seeing a lot of movies where We can't necessarily recommend them to wide audiences and this is one of those films and the reason being is that it is a fairly uncomfortable movie to sit through uh it is about two couples that are having a conversation in the aftermath of a tragedy that really affects both of their lives and Some similar ways, but they uh, also are coming from very different backgrounds. Um, And it it is a very highly affecting film. I think the screenplay is excellent. It kind of plays out like a uh, play. And uh, the performances in this film are absolutely amazing. Um, All four of the main actors in this film. They are going to run campaign Oscar campaigns for them all in the supporting category. Um, I think that there is a good chance that maybe one or two of them actually get in and Dodd uh, or endowed who is a pretty famous actress she's in quite a bit of stuff i think she has the best chance of being nominated for for this film but all of the performances are absolutely great and i think that they all would be worthy of um an oscar nomination so if you're if you are a fan of just really good performances and kind of a different um interesting concept for a movie and have a little bit of patience and you're fine kind of sitting through some uncomfortable stuff, Uh, I highly recommend Mass. that's not your cup of tea, eh, you probably can avoid it. Um, The last movie that I want to talk about is a documentary that came out this past week and it is called The Rescue. Uh, Right now, this is probably one of two documentaries that are the front runner for best documentary at the Oscars. Um, This is about the uh, rescue mission of the soccer team in 2018 that got stuck in a cave that flooded in Northern Thailand. And uh, it's been getting absolutely amazing reviews at the festivals where it's been playing Um, and It is made by the same directors who made, uh, a few years back, they made Free Solo, which won the Oscar for Best Documentary at the Oscars. So I think that this is probably a must-see documentary if you are interested in documentaries. Um, And so as soon as it actually gets to Omaha, I am going to try to make an effort to go see it because I, I am looking forward to seeing what they captured with this film
1: i've heard really good things about this movie and particularly about how they um shot the not b-roll but the kind of reenactments of it and how accurate those are and sometimes people said they seemed like it was b-roll like they got real footage but it's it's reenactments and it's i'm hearing great
0: things so i'm excited for it all right cool so that was all the stuff that came out last weekend um i just want to do kind of a quick preview of a few movies that uh are coming out this upcoming weekend that may be of interest for one reason or another Um, i'm just going to go through them and kind of just give a reason why i am including it and then i'm going to turn it to you to uh talk about if there are any that you are very interested in seeing um and kind of what you've heard about these films so uh Halloween Kills comes out this week, you know, being October, being getting close to Halloween season, uh, or I guess we're in Halloween season. uh, It makes sense that we got a big time horror movie that is being released. I have really no interest in seeing this because I'm not a huge fan of the franchise, but uh, I'm sure that it is going to do quite well. And there are a lot of people that are going to be pretty excited to see Halloween Kills. Um, But the big movie that we are both, I think, getting kind of excited about seeing and that we're going to try and do a review for is The Last Duel. Um, So that is going to be coming out this weekend. Um, And then there are a few smaller titles, uh, three that played at the festivals this past or either this uh, past couple months or um, a couple that were from Sundance that I haven't got to catch up with. Um, but one of them is Bergman Island, um, which has played at a couple of the more recent film festivals. Uh, it was at Cannes. Um, and I can't remember which of the fall ones that it actually played at, but it's been getting pretty decent reviews. Something I might be kind of interested in. Uh, another one is uh, Lusa, um, which is a foreign film and it played at Sundance uh, in the it won for I think best performance in a world cinema feature. Um, So that makes it a little bit of interest to me. Uh, Another film that played at Sundance was called Son of Monarchs. And this is uh, a film that received a couple kind of lower level awards for more emerging filmmakers. And so there is some interest from, from me there. And then the last film that's coming out this week is the Velvet Underground uh, documentary and this year kind of has seemed like a pretty big year for um, music documentaries and so I'm I'm a little bit interested to check this out I've heard pretty good things about it it's probably not going to be an Oscar player um, just because that's not the sort of documentary that Oscar goes for Uh, but it is directed by Todd Haynes and Todd Haynes is a pretty great filmmaker. Um, So I don't know a ton about the Velvet Underground. So I'd be very interested to actually see this documentary. Any in that group that seem interesting to you, Danny? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know a ton
1: about Velvet Underground, but uh, I am kind of a sucker for any music documentary. And I think, Um, the more insight sometimes you get into a band and you learn about like their musical process. Sometimes that's enough for me to just fall in love with a a musician that didn't, wasn't quite the case with Sparks, but, um, I think that sometimes really good documentaries can do that. Um, I am so excited now for The Last Duel. I, it's weird because, uh, with Ridley Scott releasing this and, uh, House of Gucci this year. Um I am more excited for this now than I am for House of Gucci. I almost feel like House of Gucci is a little bit playing into the melodramatic side of things too much that it feels it feels so so boppery that I am not as uh, intrigued anymore. And this, even though I, I sort of get a sense of what this story is, I'm really excited to see the performances in The Last Duel. I'm excited about the writing of it. I've, I've heard some interesting things about the storytelling. Um, and I think the thing that's very exciting is it's a movie that was pretty much not on my radar at all at the like beginning of the summer, and then suddenly became a movie I was excited about. And I'm hearing some decently good things about this movie and about Ben Affleck too, which is exciting. Uh, his performance, it looks kind of goofy seeing him in like blonde hair and a kind of funny looking beard, but I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, I do want to see Bergman Island. I don't know a ton about it, uh, but I like Vicki crepes as an actress and that's kind of a draw for me. Um, Halloween kills. I saw the trailer for that before lamb. And I was like, man, this movie looks terrible, <laughs> but, um, so, I, I uh, that's where I stand on those.
0: All right. Um, one more thing I want to say about Velvet Underground that movie is going to be on Apple TV Plus this upcoming weekend. So, uh, that should be readily available if you subscribe to that streaming service, which uh, I don't know if I have pounded it into your head enough, you should be a subscriber to a- Apple TV+. Plus. I think they, even though they don't have the same amount of content that a lot of the other streaming services do, I think the quality uh, that they they have chosen to put on their, their platform is very good. And it's well worth the cost of $4.99 a month, Um, you can always cancel after you've seen everything that you want, but there's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, so that wraps up our conversation on, uh, the movies that are coming out this week. Um, there's not a whole lot of extra news that's going on for the time being. We here in the next few weeks there, uh, we're going to start to get, um, some, some more of the award buzz because, the gotham awards which is an independent uh award show they are going to be releasing their uh, nominees for best films of the year here in a couple weeks so i think that's going to be really exciting because now we're going to start to see who uh the industries and uh the critics are choosing and what they're choosing as the best films of the year and we can maybe start to Uh, really focus on some of those films that we missed or that we need to be watching out for as the the year comes to an end. Um, So when we come back from this break, we are going to be talking about the film No Time to Die. So stay right there. And we are back. We are talking about the latest film in the Bond franchise, No Time to Die. The premise of No Time to Die is James Bond has left active service. His piece is short-lived when Felix Leiter, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. So, uh Daniel Craig it seemed like a few films ago was kind of set on being done with playing this role, but somehow he ended up making five Bond movies and he's been Bond for a probably a good portion of your life Danny. Um and so that's really the Bond that you know. Um mm. but kind of comparing him to some of the other Bonds uh, he, he presented a very different James Bond, and uh, I'm not necessarily a giant fan of this entire franchise. I haven't watched a bunch of the old movies or anything like that, but I really like this version of Bond. And so I, uh, I've really, really enjoyed all of these movies um, to an extent, uh, but uh, they, I, I'm always interested. I've always been interested in actually... Um, going and seeing these movies in the theater. Uh, and I'm, they're, they're just not the typical type of movie that I would get excited about, but uh, the Bond movies, for whatever reason, have kind of struck a chord with me. Um, so I'm going to kind of turn it over to you to let you share kind of what you thought of No Time to Die, uh, this final installment in the Daniel Craig, James Bond era.
1: Um, I'm just going to start by coming, coming in with like where I was going into the movie. I had not seen Spectre, which was the one that had gone, been released previously to this uh, until after I'd seen No Time to Die. And so I might've been a little bit behind on some of the story. Um, and that, but that really wasn't a problem for me. I I felt like the story kind of worked and I could kind of piece things together anyway. Um, And I actually really enjoyed this movie. I think that uh, a huge part of why this movie is good is, um, I know this is like maybe a cop-out to say, but I I think I could just watch Daniel Craig in an action movie all day. Because he's like the most, he's maybe, I feel like after watching these movies, uh, he's maybe the most charismatic action star there is. And there is you will buy 100% that he can do the things that he does in this movie. He's kind of cold-hearted in a way that need, he needs to be cold-hearted, but he also has a, a warmness, and that plays into the kind of charisma that he has. And um, we can talk more in specifics about his performance, but that was such a huge part of why I like this movie. But this also had a real story to tell to some degree. And uh, that in turn with the performance is why I ended up giving this movie a seven out of 10. Um, The reason why I gave it a seven and I, it didn't go much higher is I think that a lot of Bond movies, or at least the ones that I've seen are so formulaic and they have kind of these almost strange kind of plot maneuvers that are supposed to kind of take you to the next uh, action set piece. And That is just what you come to expect for a Bond movie. I think this is a fantastic Bond movie, but in the grand scheme of things as a movie, I think that it it could have some room for improvement. I really did enjoy this. I think this is one that anybody would enjoy. The only thing that maybe makes it less appealing to audiences is it has a two hour and 43 minute runtime, which can feel like a slog maybe in the middle third, uh, for just a little bit but i would say the beginning and then the ending the ending hour or so is pretty rock solid so uh i really enjoyed this movie i'm excited to talk about it more with you but i also want to talk about it in comparison to some of the other bond movies as well what do you think rob yes
0: yeah, so i uh, i also really liked this this uh bond film um i also gave it a seven which you know and knowing me and my uh the fact that I don't particularly love action movies, um, that's a really good score for me. Uh, and it kind of fits in between what critics think. Critics have it as 68, on uh, medic score, um, and the IMDb score is a 7.6, um, and The runtime for me was a little bit problematic. I think it has a few pacing issues. I think there's some stuff they probably could have cut out that weren't necessary. Um, And I know you really, really liked the, or you were talking about how you thought the beginning is pretty solid. I feel like uh, it kind of took a little bit to get going. Uh, I didn't feel like I was in the, um, the, I wasn't invested in a story right off the bat uh, as much as I really wanted to because it felt maybe a little disconnected, but everything kind of comes together as the movie goes on. And so it makes a little bit more sense um, why they made some of the decisions that they made, but I feel like they could have uh, potentially cut some of that down and they didn't need to have uh, some of the drawn out scenes that they do. Um, because it would have made the the film probably if they could have gotten it a little closer to two hours, I think that it, it would have been a, a solid film, not cutting out a whole 45 minutes, but getting it closer to that time timeframe. Um, we can talk a little bit later when we go through our comparison, our rankings uh, about some of the spoilers, because this film does have a, a decent amount of spoilers. Um, so we're not going to touch too much on that. Uh, and so I don't want to dive too much into the storyline and what's kind of going on here. Um, but what I think is interesting about these these Daniel Craig Bond films and why I think ultimately this film is pretty good is that they decided to kind of have this connected story that goes through all five films even though they each can stand alone, as you said, um, and that you don't feel completely lost if you haven't seen one of the other films or it's been a while since you've seen one of the other films. um, It it feels like it can stand alone. But because there is that storyline that kind of goes through all five films, uh, there's, I think, a bigger payoff here. And you're more invested um, because these characters aren't necessarily all brand new. Um, and I, I think it will be kind of interesting because you did see Spectre after watching this. If seeing Spectre um, maybe made you appreciate this film more, or maybe because you saw this film first, if you appreciated Spectre more, um, that's something that I'm going to be interested in hearing a little bit later, kind of how, your, how that played out and what your thoughts on that that part of it it is mm-hmm. um but overall i think this is a pretty enjoyable story and uh maybe more so than a lot of action films there is some heart there and i think that that is uh is really kind of what drew me in and kept me invested for the entirety of that two hours and 45 minutes of of the the movie
1: i think that another thing that and i i, f- I feel like because I don't want to get into spoilers. I feel like our review of this first half is going to be very loosely just kind of talking about the Bond movies and how this was a good representation of a Bond movie. And I think that the director, uh, Cary uh, Joji Fukunaga, um, he is able to create at least the the feeling of a Bond movie really well. And first hitting kind of the the all of the things you expect, it has big action set pieces, it has um, the kind of quippy moments of Bond, but it also he's able to play the heartfelt moments of this Bond character really well, which I believe is something that isn't uh, a part of every iteration of James Bond. I think there are some bonds that are maybe considered a little bit more comedic. I think the Roger Moore Bond who is often considered one of the best bonds is maybe a little bit more comedic played into the goofiness of it. And there's some goofy things as uh, in this bond movie, I, the the whole idea that he has this like really nice old vintage car that like can basically become a tank, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's uh, that part of it is definitely goofy. Um, but Like you had mentioned, there is heart to it. And the the key thing that is so interesting is how they've built up relationships. And there's a relationship between, obviously, the Daniel Craig character and then the uh, Leah Sado character. Um, That is really great. They have great chemistry in this movie. But then I also really like how throughout the films, the Jeffrey Wright character as uh, Felix Leiter has continue to play a interesting kind of uh, character, side character that isn't in it all the time, but gives Bond some way of kind of growing as a person, as a character to follow. And um, that relationship has been uh, interesting to follow. And it's interesting to follow in this, this movie as well. I think that they have some really great scenes together.
0: Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is probably one of the more underrated actors of our time. Um, pretty much everything that he is in, he is good. Uh, he's going to be playing, I believe, Commissioner Gordon in the uh, new Batman movie, which is mm-hmm. going to be pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, I th- it, this Bond, this Daniel Craig Bond is so human, um, as well as being kind of this Superman, um, but they they have humanized him so much, and we, like you kind of said earlier, there are obviously those stoic moments where he is willing to kind of do anything and will do anything and does do everything, um, but then uh, you have those more tender moments where he kind of shows some vulnerability, um, and I don't know that we saw that as much in some of the older Bonds. Uh, it, he was almost more just kind of like Greek God, like where it's not, uh, like he's all powerful. And even though there are things that kind of trip him up along the way, you always kind of felt like, um, like you never thought that he was actually in that much of a harm's way. Well, with Daniel Craig, like he's so believable in this role that, uh, you completely buy, Um, that he is a human being and he is putting his life on the line every single time that he goes out
1: and i i also like how high the stakes are in these bond movies and not not necessarily in terms of the world but for james bond as a character that he is in life-threatening situations all the time which is true of all james bond characters but i think previous iterations kind of did a ton in, tongue-in-cheek kind of response to that of he's going to be able to get out of this. Whereas this character, you, you kind of know he will be able to get out of it, but you believe that he is having to figure that out in the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, it makes him such an interesting character to watch. I, one thing that I'll say about him, and this plays into how great of performance it is for Daniel Craig, is that I am absolutely eating it up when i'm watching him on screen and i am like not in analytical mode i am just watching an action movie that's really enjoyable to watch when i'm was in the movie theater and uh, i don't think that that's the case for all of these bond movies in the daniel craig versions but uh that's definitely the case for this one um because of I think that performance and the story is is it doesn't have the flaws that some of the other ones d- did so i can kind of easily follow along with that um another performance we talked about Leia sadu which we should maybe chat about a little bit more i'd be curious to to hear about what you thought of her but i also wanted to bring up lashana lynch who plays a character called no- nomi who is uh, kind of introduced as a somewhat foil kind of character to James Bond. She's definitely a good guy, or at least at the very beginning, that's you're kind of questionable about her allegiances. Um, but I wanted to know what you thought of those uh, female performances in this movie.
0: Okay, so uh, Leah Siddow, I think, is... Uh, a great actress, and I wish that we could see her in more stuff because I think she is very, very good. And frankly, uh, action movies are probably beneath her a little bit. Um, But that's what kind of... It's those sorts of performances that lift this franchise up in a way that it hadn't previously. Um, And so, yeah, she is very, very good. Uh, Additionally, um, uh, Lashawna Lynch. This character's a... It's very intriguing because of the fact that it is taking a um, franchise that is has been kind of historically misogynistic. And I feel like with almost every iteration of the Daniel Craig Bond movies, they have kind of pushed it a little bit further in creating mm-hmm. these more empowering female characters. And this kind of hits... Uh, Kind of that that peak uh, for for James Bond thus far, and uh, so it makes it really interesting because uh, Lynch puts she she plays this character perfectly. I feel like they they picked a really great person to uh, take on this role, which was pro- probably kind of risky mm-hmm. uh, to insert this this sort of character into a movie where james bond is supposed to be kind of that front and center hero um and and so i was a little worried at times that they were going to play her a little bit too villainous um even though she clearly is not really a villain um but the way it starts out you were kind of saying that you're like uh um, so I, am glad that it kind of plays out the way without spoiling too much. I kind I'm glad that it pu- plays out the way that it does, because I think it makes this character, um, even more powerful. And I think some of that is because you have, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge who co-wrote this, uh, screenplay, and I'm sure that she had a huge influence on, on this choice to create this sort of character for this film.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's no question that that is a definite factor in this movie. And the fact that we have uh, probably, I don't even, again, neither one of us are big Bond movie buffs, and we haven't seen even half of all of the Bond movies. Um, But uh, I would be surprised if there are very many other Bond movies where he is kind of essentially in a monogamous relationship with one person you know what i mean and that's what this movie he he doesn't have any other love interest other than the leah Sado character for
0: for the most part right right exactly and i think that they kind of like we said they kind of have set that up as the uh as this version of bond went on where it kind of started out with the first movie uh where it was more your classic kind of you have your bond girl um Mm -hmm. but i think it turned pretty quickly because that that and we can talk about that a little bit more in the next segment but um where it's different (laughs) these girls are far different than uh they they were in the past and it's not just about completely sexualizing women and there's far more there it's that emotional investment and how they bring out this vulnerability in bond and they're not just somebody there to be used
1: right and you get the sense that bond in these movies is not Attracted to them just because they're beautiful women he he has some other attraction and he wants some deeper connection with them and that's true I think in Casino Royale because that's a character the Vesper Lind character who she plays such a significant role in his life that we're still talking about her character in the fifth one
0: yeah yeah exactly and I think that's once again that's a piece of this story that because we know kind of what happened in the past, it makes this story that much better. Um, Because this Bond uh, is so tortured. He's so tortured by his past, and he has this burden. And in multiple movies, you kind of see him trying to leave this profession, and it Mm -hmm. keeps pulling him back and yep. I don't know that you got that in some of the older bonds where the these bonds they they kind of seemed as though this is my job and I love my job. Yep. This you like totally get the idea that he's done this, he's very good at it and that's the reason he keeps coming back to it and he feels it's kind of this he has that superhero hero burden that we see a lot of superheroes have where Um, They feel this obligation, but Mm -hmm. it weighs very heavily on them and they want to be able to walk away from it. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's the case with this bond. I think that makes you root for him that much more because you want him to be able to get out of the situation that he's in um, because you know the burden that he feels.
1: Yeah. And you know, you uh, comparing it to a superhero movie, I think that in terms of if we're going to compare it to a movie this is formulaically very similar i would say to the dark knight rises yes being a final chapter the way the role that the character plays he's reluctant to kind of go back into that hero role he does it anyway uh kind of for a one last job sort of thing uh cuz he's needed to do that and um i I think that that's a, a interesting way to think about it. I think you said something a little bit ago that was really interesting. You said Leah Sado is in this movie even though she it's an action movie and she's kind of above that. I think you could say that about almost every actor in this movie. Yeah, and I, I think you could say that about... Rafe lines. Uh, Daniel Craig, definitely, I think that he has proven that he is a higher, uh, more capable actor than just being in action movies. Even though I'm not a huge fan of Rami Malek personally, I think that he's capable of bigger, better stuff than that. So, um, yeah, 100%.
0: I think, they, and I think that's been kind of the theme for a lot of these movies. You, they always seem to cast top-notch actors that get uh, award buzz for other movies, And I think that's what lifted this up. I think that these are movies that even though they aren't going to be awards players, they are made with the mindset that they're making good cinema because we haven't even got to this part of it yet, but they are technically so well done. The photography yep. is fantastic. The editing is fantastic. Yep. The, the effects are fantastic. The sound is fantastic, and then score is absolutely amazing. And there, it's always amazing. And that's just kind of the way that uh, the these films are. Um, but uh, yeah, they, these I think are just a, a kind of a, a step above. Uh, not maybe all of them, but a few of them here are a step above your classic. Uh, action movie because they're just of a higher quality and they got good filmmakers that are making these movies that typically make uh not these sorts of movies
1: yeah and I guess maybe I'd already kind of said this but this movie particularly partly because they they give every and because there's so many good performances in it they give almost every one of those actors like their moment to shine and Anna de, Mo- uh, de Armas who's You know, maybe this is a slight bit of a spoiler. She's not in it as much as I think they market the movie to be. And Uh, you get the sense that this is such a a good, well-developed world that they've created, that you have this character that feels so rich that they're just stepping in for that moment and then they're going to step out. And uh, that's a really cool thing to see in a movie, especially these these types of series movies where – I don't want them to create any sort of spin-off thing of this. You yep. know, I don't want, I don't want, which, you know, after this movie, there's like some things that I could kind of see them doing that with. Yep. I don't want that, but I like the fact that there's richness there that allows you to think, man, I wonder what that character is doing in this place. You know, now after the movie's over, um, I wonder what Bond's going to be doing next, you know, things like that. And so I think that just, makes this such a rich movie, uh, altogether.
0: I agree. I agree with pretty much everything that you said there. Um, I don't know if there's a lot more that we want to say specifically about this film. Uh, I think that we can probably take a break here and then come back and talk about all the different films and kind of rank them. Um, how, how we feel they, they kind of fit within these these five films um, and then start to unpack some of the things that we see overlap. Um, maybe take a look at some of the different characters and compare some characters there um, and spoil a few things. So if you haven't seen all of these movies, uh, this might be a good time to put the, the show on pause, go see them and then come back. Or if you don't care, um, we are going to spoil a few things here in this next segment. So stay right there and we will be back in a moment.
1: We are back and we're going to take a look at the entire Daniel Craig Bond series. And I think the way that we want to do this is we'll start by kind of ranking uh, from our least favorite to our favorite. And then as we go or after we go, we can kind of decide how we want to do this. Um, We will uh, kind of talk about the comparison between those. It might be easiest to kind of go all the way through our top are all the way through the five and then kind of talk about things after. I think that might work the best. Um, So do you want to start us off by telling us, unfortunately there has to be a last place in uh, these. So which one did you think maybe was the the worst of these uh, Daniel Craig Bond movies?
0: So the film that I have at number five is, I think, easily the weakest of the bunch and uh it, there wasn't much of a competition and it, it's a little unfortunate because this film was made during the writer's strike and so that clearly had an impact on um on this film so it'd be kind of interesting it would have been interesting to see what they would have done with it had uh it come out in a more regular time and that film is quantum of solace um frankly just there, this is a pretty average, if not below average movie. Um, I ended up giving it a 5 out of 10. Uh, I just think that it has a lot of problems. The pacing isn't very good. I'm not really, I didn't really buy into the characters as much in this one. Um, I had heard something uh, about when this movie was being made at some point they like started making it and they were having Daniel Craig help write the, the script for it. And they're just like making it up as they go along. And so uh, they, it, it's a little bit clear. This movie to me just was my least favorite. And frankly, it's a pretty forgettable uh, version of the Bond movies.
1: Yeah, I have this at number five as well. And uh I mean, pretty much ask anybody and this is what they'll say is the worst of the daniel craig movies which is unfortunate because you know there's a underlying story about the uh how uh wealthy people use resources and i think that's an interesting aspect but it's kind of just a boring movie there's it for it being an action movie it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense it's kind of hard to follow and it it overall is pretty um not very exciting and uh, I actually don't even remember what I gave it but I think I probably gave it a six out of 10 um, which maybe I, I am just it's because I'm so enchanted by Daniel Craig and that's part of it but uh yeah and I actually remember I enjoyed the the villain somewhat but he just was I felt like the the movie was so poorly written it didn't there was not really an impact in this movie in the way that the others have like some clear aspect of it that's just phenomenal. Um, and we'll talk about that next. Uh, do you care if I go next by you saying what number four is? Yep. Yeah. So my number four is uh, Spectre. Um, Spectre, I think, is a really great, uh, technically made movie, but uh, that movie is at sometimes incomprehensible. Like, I don't even know what like what's happening at different parts of the movie and i do think that maybe seeing no time to die before made me like it a little bit more because i was already kind of charmed by no time to die and so i was just kind of like this is this is fun i I felt like a specter was a really fun movie there was a lot of fun moments and good gat like kind of kind of action comedic moments with daniel craig but like i'm like trying to put all the pieces together i don't really understand how christoph vaults is like his kind of half brother or something or like stepbrother or something it like feels completely glossed over to the point where i'm like wait what and i'm just trying to figure out what's happening and then there's action that's that i feel like more so than any of the other bond movies the action set pieces feel crazy in that movie there's the sequence in the end where they're blowing stuff up and then they like all of a sudden are in the water and he's like following him in the river and like, it just goes from set piece to set piece uh kind of at a breakneck speed um so yeah it. but at the same time that's a sam mendes directed movie and the f- beginning of that movie where they do it like it's a one-shot was his practice for making 1917. So he something good came out of Spectre, and it's the the filmmaking technique. What was your uh, number four?
0: My number four was also Spectre. Um, I I actually ended up giving this a uh, a seven. Uh, I liked it, and I but I think it's a movie that it starts at a really high level. The opening of Spectre is so good. I love the opening of Spectre. And as the movie goes, it just kind of whoo, goes down a little bit. And so <laughs> it's just not the way you want a movie to be is where the high point is at the beginning. And it, it ends up kind of ending and your fizzles out a little bit. And that that's kind of the way that this movie uh, plays out. But there's so many good people involved with this. Yep. So there are pieces of it that... Uh, like I gave it the same score as as No Time to Die, but um, it's because there's certain things that I really really like. Like I think the beginning of Spectre is one of the best uh, sequences in any of the James Bond movies. Um, I'd put it up there with some of my top favorite parts of this this uh daniel craig series of bond movies um but yeah it does have a lot it's a little messy um it's hard to kind of follow at times um we can maybe get into uh christoph Waltz a little bit later and as we talk about some of the different villains um but uh, i kind of wanted a little bit more out of him um and i didn't quite get it in this movie like i wanted to mm-hmm.
1: I I agree with you. Um, let's save to let's talk more about the villains later. I have more to say about
0: that. You want right.
1: to go with number three?
0: Number three, number three. I put No Time to Die. Um, I feel like uh, Spectre and No Time to Die are very kind of companion uh, films. Uh, they even though they both obviously can kind of stand alone. I feel like the connection between the two. Um, they they just fit, and you have some a lot of the reoccurring characters between the films, which I think makes it them connect a little bit more. Um, and we've we've already said a lot about No Time to Die, so I'm not going to really add that much more in here. But yeah, that one fits for me at number three.
1: <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> uh, I had uh, also had No Time to Die. I think we're going to be in lockstep on this. Yep, I think there um, too. Uh, I I. Uh, I'm not going to add anything else other than it's weird because I, I also, I give Spectre a six. I don't know if I said that, but um, I think this is a definitely better movie than Spectre. And that has a lot to do with how messy Spectre is as a story. Um, but it's still a lot of fun. So that's all I'm going to say. Okay, uh, number two for me is Casino Royale. Um, I think of Casino Royale is an interesting way to kind of start off this Daniel Craig character because I believe Casino Royale was maybe the first or original Bond story that was written. And uh, it was always kind of a classic one that hadn't really been done other than like a TV movie before the um, Sean Connery version. And so people were really excited to see this. And again, this is from the very beginning. Getting Daniel Craig as your Bond, which is really exciting. We didn't really even know at that time in 2006 that he was going to become like the star that he ended up becoming and the acting chops he had. But then you also have Mads Mikkelsen and he is a fantastic actor. Like and so automatically you you have this really great uh, start to your your franchise. This is kind of sort of new iteration of it. And uh, I think that they balance kind of the suaveness of Bond really well in that with uh, getting some of the uh, kind of necessary, um, (laughs) which is sad, sounds bad to say, but there's like an inherent misogyny to the character that they kind of have to portray as Bond, but they did it in a way, like we said earlier, where it felt like he was attracted to her in other ways than it was just like objectifying this this Vesper Lind character um so I thought they addressed that part of it really well uh what do you think uh what would you put for number two I
0: also put uh Casino Royale um and I doesn't surprise me that we have been exactly in the same order um Casino Royale is from, I think, a narrative standpoint, is probably my favorite of the Bonds. I really love this story. I think it has uh, some interesting twists and turns. Um, it has a great bad guy that uh, really kind of plays a, a role in, in this film. Um, but it's my favorite, I think, love story out of the bunch because it, in a way... It feels a little Shakespearean um, and uh, you just buy into it so much. I feel like even though I think that the love story that we see in uh, Spectre and No Time to Die with the Leah Sado character is very good. Um, I feel like the chemistry between Daniel Craig and Ava Green in casino royale is absolutely fantastic and there's a scene where he's comforting her in the shower and that is such a tender moment that i never ever ever expected to see in a bond movie Mm -hmm. of him being kind of like that i think that takes it from being that misogynistic bond to being i am here for you and i see you as a human being and that uh I understand that what you're going through is something that no human being should have to go through. And even Mm -hmm. though he has to deal with that sort of crap all the time, um, he's there as kind of this comforting figure in this moment. And that is one of my favorite scenes in, in all of these bond movies, just because that humanizes this bond more than we had ever seen previously. Um, And I think that just the introduction of some of these new characters is so fresh and it's a unique edgy take on bond. Uh, the opening for this film is very good as well. And, uh, yeah, so it, it is pretty close between this movie and, uh, our top movie for me. Um, I gave this an eight out of 10, uh, IMDb has it as an eight out of 10 and Metascore has it as an 80. So (laughs) it's exactly uh, straight across the board. Everybody feels like this is about eight territory. Um, yeah, I, I loved Casino Royale.
1: I'll probably have to rewatch it. It's been a, a little bit longer since I've seen Casino Royale, but I remember liking it more than no time to die. And, um, i want to say real quick before we talk about skyfall that uh the uh vesper lind character is interesting and in that that relationship is better because it's such a focus of the movie and it plays into the plot a little bit more whereas i felt like the leah Sado character who we don't even like i can't even think of her name her character's name right now um but she the, the romantic aspect of their relationship, Inspector, feels really forced, and it's sort of like, oh, she has to fall in love with him because that's what's expected right now, you know. And uh, there's kind of a goofy scene, Inspector, where they like just like got into this huge brawl on a train, and then they like, what do we do now? And then they start having sex, <laughs> and so it's just like it is. It's played for laughs, but it is ridiculous at the same time. And then they made that so real feeling in No Time to Die that I think their relationship is almost kind of mended in the way that it's portrayed on screen in that fifth movie. And so, yeah, I don't think the Spectre one's very good, but I would agree overall what you said about maybe the best relationship is that first movie um, for all the reasons you said. Uh, Let's talk about Skyfall. Uh, This movie is the movie that got me the very first Daniel Craig Bond movie I saw it might even be the first Bond movie I'd seen all the way through. I'd seen Bond movies as a kid, just parts of it on TV, um, but this is uh, first of all a has fantastic uh, cinematography. It's Sam Mendes again. Um, the overall story of it it takes it, Bond in a new direction. We get some history to him as a character. We get some more insight into who he is. He f- if- it feels like Skyfall is like the perfect middle chapter of this series because it's so centered on what is core to who he is as a per- person. And... I absolutely love the action set pieces in this movie and they don't whip you around too much in the way that some of the other Bond movies do where it kind of takes you from one thing to the next really quickly. The final uh, set piece at at Skyfall, which was the name of the, the family house or manor that they had is I think one of the coolest action sequences just because it's like, Feels gritty and real. And I love the Albert Finney character. I think that that uh, is, again, an actor who's like definitely above being in an action movie, but is in this and adds so much more because of it. Um, again, we haven't even talked about Judy Dench being in these movies, but huge, huge that she's in this and adds so much personality to these characters. Um, what'd you think of Skyfall? We can talk about it more, but I want, I've talked too much already.
0: Well, Skyfall is a Bond movie that seems like it was made for me because it is a beautiful film. From a cinematography standpoint, this is just an absolutely gorgeous film. Um, It just looks good in every which way. Uh, Particularly, I think, once they go to Skyfall, the way that 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 landscape is captured and kind of the darkness... I it's just it's such it's just such an amazing movie and in a way it's kind of an anti-bond movie which is uh, you said that it took it in a new direction but yet it it kind of steps away from a lot of the typical bond tropes Mm -hmm. and makes this about personal relationships so much Mm -hmm. more than uh, kind of just the uh action and yeah obviously this has a lot of action because it's still a bond movie but uh it, it is very much about that relationship between bond and m the judy dench character and uh <laughs> the fact that they kill m i think uh is a very affecting part of this this film um and The introduction, I think, of the Naomi Harris character as being made a more um, pivotal role in the series, I think, kind of took it in a new direction and kind of lifting up these more female characters, which we uh, hadn't seen so much, where they kind of put them more on the same level as Bond. Um, And then Javier uh, Javier Berdem is absolutely amazing in this movie uh he this is the only film where i feel like he probably should have gotten nominated for a best supporting actor uh Mm -hmm. for this film because it is an amazing performance um and it's kind of a shame that it didn't get a little bit more awards love uh in fact this film probably in a year where you nominate 10 films probably gets nominated for best picture um, just because it has enough of the pieces there to make it a, a beloved sort of film. Um, yes. Absolutely loved skyfall.
1: Um, I, I think that this is also uh, has a, well, first of all, we, we didn't talk about uh, what's her name. No, Amy, yeah. No, Amy Harris and how, she is kind of, they, they set her up as being the kind of Bond girl. Yeah. And then they turn that away. And that plays into what you were saying. That this is kind of breaking the tropes of Bond as a character. And I think that they also do that in the way that they use deaths in these Bond movies. And killing off the M character, killing off the Vesper Lind character. And now that we'll say this, they kill off Bond in uh, No Time to Die. And so I couldn't
0: believe they did that. Like, that, that not was surprising that. to me.
1: Yep. And, and I, kept, I kept thinking, well, is, he, is there going to be some, like, is Ana de Armas going to come in and save? Because that would suck if if that was, like, they just pulled that out of nowhere, you yeah. know? And, um,
0: well, I I kept thinking they were going to pull a Dark Knight Rises and yep. they, they were going to, like, cut to him being safe somewhere. Because well, I couldn't that's, believe that they that's, were going to do it
1: that's what I was thinking. I was like, is this going to be like dark Right R- rises where they kind of show him off having his life afterwards somewhere at the end. And, um, I even felt that after like seeing him go up in flames and <laughs> the explosion. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm wanting to know cause it could, it, it is probably different, but we'll see. Um, what were kind of your three... I don't, I don't think we need to talk about all of them, but what, what, are, what are the best of villains that you well, feel I, like in these movies?
0: Um, I I think I, I've already alluded to the fact that I think that uh, that Silva, the character played by Harvey, uh, Javier Bardem in Skyfall, is the best villain. Um, he just... He, he feels insane he feels like he is just on a different level and um he's creepy he is so creepy um and so i that is my my top villain um my okay. second one is i think it's the the right um let's give the chief yeah, I, yeah uh, played by mads uh mickelson and uh it's a completely different performance from the Harvey, javier bardem uh villain they're very very different villains because he kind of almost plays it a little bit more emotionless um but that is very unsettling mm-hmm. and uh and so uh, that to me is quite affecting um mm. My third favorite is, like, I, I could kind of go multiple ways here, but uh, I am going with uh, Blofeld from Spectre and No Time to Die. And if it was just based off of Spectre, I probably would not have included him here. But I think his performance in No Time to Die uh, kind of elevates that character um when he shows up for just a brief moment in no time to die uh he has that creepiness about him Mm -hmm. that i was waiting for uh, a little bit more in specter and it just didn't ever get to that level but there's something unsettling about the scene that we see him in in no time to die um, and uh, I think that that to me just elevates him a little bit above the, uh, the other couple of villains that we see throughout the series.
1: Well, and the thing that's so great about that scene in No Time to Die is he's complete. He's he has nothing t- to lose, and he can't win in that situation, really. And the the I guess the way that he wins is getting a rise out of James Bond, and so there's a lot of tension in that scene, and. You know, I think that's a great performance, but I actually have Blofeld as my least favorite villain because of, I don't think that the writing is good Inspector. I think that they just kind of relied on Christoph Waltz to be kind of creepy in his own way, but it's so ambiguous in a way. His character is really ambiguous. It feels like, I'm like, I don't really even know why he's doing the things he's doing. He clearly has something against James Bond, but that was like really confusing. Um, I felt like he was kind of an evil character for being evil's sake, um, and that made him less interesting. Whereas Javier Bardem was like so twisted personally, you know, he had such so many demons that that was an interesting aspect. And then Mads Mikkelsen was that kind of cold, calculated uh, villain that you know is maybe evil for evil's sake, but also like likes the power of it, sort of and um, I actually liked Rami Malek's character. I think that he is, wasn't really given much to do with the performance. And yeah. so he's, he's my third favorite, but I honestly think he was underused in the movie or maybe they had more stuff and they cut it. I don't know. But um and-
0: I was waiting for a little bit more from him in like the way I felt about his performance in this movie was the way that I felt about Christoph Waltz performance in specter, where I felt like it was great casting. I felt mm-hmm. like they casted both of those roles. Like they, they picked great people to play a bond bad guy. Um, but they needed a little bit more. Uh, yeah. And there wasn't quite the same unsettling feeling that you feel with uh, Mads Mickelson and H- Javier Bardem in either of these performances, even though I think they have it in them to go there. And uh, maybe, maybe it comes down. They just didn't direct them as well, but, or maybe it does come down to screenplay, as you were saying, where um, these characters maybe don't have the depth um, in, in, it maybe even just that these two actors aren't quite as good <laughs> as uh, Javier Bardem and uh, Mads Mikkelsen. And I think that we probably would, would both agree that those two actors are um, very special actors. Mm-hmm. Not to say that, because uh, I think Christoph Waltz is pretty good, but he might be a little bit of one trick pony. Yeah. Um and uh Rami Malek, Malik I think really relies on his uh unfortunate looks <laughs> for why he he plays a bad a bad guy but I think they they're both good they, they I think they are both good at what they do um and we haven't really talked about uh Quantum of Solace bad guy Matthew Matthew
1: Amalrek.
0: yeah who uh, played I I, I think
1: Roman Green I think that it's a, a good Performance, I just think that again, he doesn't have very good writing, and the character itself seems like it's got promise, but it just it doesn't get to where you want it to go.
0: Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to say about Javier Bardem before we uh kind of close this up is that his character of Silva is probably one of my all-time favorite bad guy characters in any series. Um, it's up there with some of the performances of the Joker. Uh, and just some of the really good uh, bad guy villains that we have seen in action movies over the years.
1: Yep, I, I agree. It's, it is up there with the Joker. Um, before we do wrap things up, I want to mention two things. First, uh, what did you think of the kind of almost pandemic-y or uh, virus related narrative that is in no time to die I, I i mean maybe it didn't stand out to you but there is there's the kind of main threat is they're going to release some virus that ends up killing but a bunch of people
0: the thing that's interesting about that is i it didn't necessarily strike me as um like i didn't make that connection so much and maybe it's just because i knew that this movie was made prior to the pandemic in fact it was supposed to come out uh the during like pretty early in the year um mm-hmm. for i think it was supposed to be a summer movie uh in 2020 before everything just got shut down yeah um, so then they kept moving it back and then it was supposed to be released last winter um and now it got pushed back to now so it they didn't make the movie with that in mind no. um, i do think it is kind of interesting that uh i mean it, we've been talking about the idea of viruses kind of taking over the the world in movies for a very, very, very long time. And I'm not so sure that as societies that we completely grapple with the fact that, uh, we're living that essentially, although we not, not so much in terms of, uh, somebody just releasing it upon us, but, um, But it's the same sort of just detriment to the world and so in a way maybe the stakes are higher um because we are living through this um, yeah. but i didn't necessarily make that connection which uh maybe if i end up watching this again uh i will take a deeper look at that to kind of see
1: it's not a huge part of the movie but it does like i don't know it adds a little bit extra in terms of how, you, how much of an impact that has. And you're thinking, gosh, this is a deadly, deadly virus because it's weaponized. You know, it's a weaponized virus. And uh, when you are going through a pandemic and you see how something that isn't weaponized but is unfortunately developed naturally, how that has affected so many people, it is, you know, that, that had a new sort of horror that it probably wouldn't have had if we didn't live through the pandemic right now. Um, The other final thing that I wanted to ask you about is, uh, what'd you think of Billie Eilish's uh, Bond song? And how does it compare to some of the other Bond songs in this series Uh, of
0: five? This is actually my least favorite of the five. Uh, If I ranked them, this would be my least favorite. It's not bad, Um, it just doesn't go (laughs) really anywhere. Um, I suppose it probably does fit the tone pretty well. I mean, the Bond song is so iconic. And I think that I'm glad that you are bringing this up because uh, it is an important aspect of the Bond movie. It's something that gets talked about, um, almost guarantees that it's going to get an Oscar nomination uh, for best original song um, and potentially it ends up winning it. (laughs) Uh, but I think this year is going to be a pretty stacked year for original songs. So maybe it ends up uh, losing. But yeah, this is um, my least favorite of the five. Uh, Skyfall is the best. In fact, I think Skyfall yep. is just a standalone, really good yep. song. And I was so- thinking
1: the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it, it I. I'd be hard-pressed. I mean, maybe you could make a case for, like, Live and Let Die being one of the best Bond songs. But I think Skyfall is probably the best Bond song ever written. Um, And so to compare the two is a little bit ridiculous. Um, The other three... Uh, I think the Sam Smith song is a little bit weak. Um, I don't know if you have heard the Radiohead version that they did for that film Spectre, but uh, they decided that it was not quite the tone that they wanted. um, And so they completely scrapped it. So you can watch the title sequence with Spectre, which is the name of the song that Radiohead wrote. Um, You can watch it on YouTube. And uh, it, I like it much better than the Sam Smith version. Not to say that Sam Smith version is bad. Um, it's just uh, not as good as the Radiohead version. That's uh,
1: really interesting. I didn't know about that. I, the Sam Smith song is my least favorite of the Bond ones of this new five uh, movies. Uh, after that, I have another way to die, which is the Jack White and Alicia Keys, which I really like that. It's totally different than any of the other yep. Bond songs. Then I have Know My Name by Chris Cornell, and No Time to Die by Billie Eilish is my second favorite. I, I don't think it's a great Bond song, but I think that it sets the tone really well, and it is um, it has enough of kind of just a, a hook. There's a kind of fool me once, fool me twice lyric in there that, like, the way they get it in there, I think that works yeah. really well.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's not, like I said, it's not a bad song. It just, to me, it doesn't have the ups and downs that, or it doesn't have like the crescendo that uh, some of the other songs have. Um, I'm I'm a huge sucker for Chris Cornell, Um, huge fan of Chris Cornell. And so that song just, I think, resonates with me, maybe a little bit more than the average person. Um, But I think the highs in that song are pretty great. Um, yeah, the Jack White and Alicia Keys song is a fun song to me. Uh, I, I, I think that was an interesting combination to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so the way that these, the bomb movies are constructed and that they always choose a artist who at the time is kind of one of the peak artists um, where nearly anybody, who is paying attention to music during that time is going to recognize who that person is, I think is a really cool aspect of Bond movies. Um, And it gives you something to look forward to. Plus the title sequence, like the title card sequences that they do in the films are always very creative and shows great art direction um, Mm. in a way that No movie does today. You don't get to see kind of that. It is very old timey, the way that they present that, especially after having a huge, pretty huge chunk of movie prior to that. Mm That's always usually a huge action sequence. Um, And so there's a part of that process to me that uh, I just appreciate so much that, you know, going into a Bond movie, you're going to get an opening action sequence that generally is going to have some ridiculous chasing uh, and you're going to see this director's uh, the director's abilities as a to be able to capture something that's on a very high level and deals often with a lot of people and uh, creating just these action sequences Um, it's a great way to showcase that right off off the bat and then to move into kind of setting that tone with a, the title sequence with the new, with the Bond song. Um, yeah. It, I just really appreciate that aspect of Bond films. And so I'm glad that we got a chance to talk about this.
1: There, there's such cultural, uh, I don't know, objects, you know, cultural like uh, artifacts that are representative of what our time is. And uh, I think that is, what makes them fun. And um, inevitably there will be another bond at some point. Um, But I hope, I hope that we can wait a little bit longer before we get
0: that. Well, so (laughs) I, I'm going to push this a little bit um, because I want to know a couple things. Uh, This would be a good way to end our show today. Um, Number one, is there any filmmaker director that you would like to see do a bond movie in number two, if you could pick any actor to take up the role of bond uh, here in the future, maybe not the near future, but um, clearly it has to be some, like it it would have to be soon enough that this person still is in an age range to be able to Mm -hmm. play a good bond. Who would you choose?
1: Okay. So My first answer to the first question is maybe a little bit of a cop-out because I saw in an interview that he said he'd be interested in directing a Bond movie. That's Denis Villeneuve. Yep. Uh, And that would be really cool to see Denis Villeneuve do a a Bond movie. I think it would be so weird. like It would just be like pushing the kind of maybe sci-fi of Bond potentially, and uh, that would be really fun. I'm trying to think of other directors. I think it would be potentially kind of cool to see maybe a director like, um, oh, some of these younger directors that are coming up. I can't think of anybody specific that I have in mind, but I somebody that maybe is has been less known about, that would be fun. But then in terms of an actor to play Bond, somebody that, Really, actually, kind of stood out to me, and I think would be interesting, it'd be a different take would be Henry Golding, uh, who is definitely has the suaveness as Bond. And uh, I think that would maybe provide an interesting take with him being an Asian actor. Um, and uh, maybe he doesn't, it'd be interesting to see him be kind of this really handsome. Good looking guy following Daniel Craig, and not to say Daniel Craig isn't handsome or good looking, but there's such a ruggedness about Daniel Craig that Henry Golding doesn't have, and so you could do different things with that type of
0: uh, actor. Um, I also heard that Denis Villeneuve wanted to uh, direct a bond, and I think that if that's something that he wants to do, he's gonna get a chance to do it. Yep. Um, And so I'm really excited about the uh, prospect of seeing a Denis Villeneuve Bond movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to give us kind of a maybe different take of something that I think would be really interesting, I'd love to see a Bong Joon-ho James Bond movie. Um, I think that he would do an amazing job of making a Bond movie. and, And I think that it would be a really unique take. Um, and I would really like to see John Boyega play Bond. Uh, I think it would be a unique take uh, on on that character uh, and kind of give things a, a slightly different uh, uh, kind of feel.
1: Yeah, well, and, you know, with both Denis Villeneuve and with Bong Joon-ho, both of them are directors that I could see making a Bond movie for sure. And then also they're international directors who... Bond is such an international character. You get some cool, unique perspective. And with both the actors, neither of them are American or British. Or, uh, I mean, John Boyega and they're both British, but they have uh, family outside of the U.S. or outside of uh, England. And so I think that that makes it interesting. It gives them a more international perspective.
0: Yeah. So I think that's kind of fun to think about. Uh, I like... Uh imagining a world that kind of make the perfect bond movie um with the people that you want to see in there um i i also saw on people have been talking about who should be the next uh bond villain and somebody said that they would love to see lady gaga uh play play a bond villain and you know that, that could be kind of interesting as well
1: it would be interesting be weird to see Lady Gaga in a Denis Villeneuve movie or a Bong Joon-ho movie, but hey,
0: I'd be down for that. (laughs) Let's make it happen. Yeah. Um, So I think that wraps up our conversation on the Daniel Craig, James Bond movies. Uh, I had fun doing this show. I had fun seeing No Time to Die. I think both of us uh, would recommend to anyone that is obviously a fan of the franchise, but uh, likes just an enjoyable action movie. Um, to, to go, go see No Time to Die. Uh, I think that it definitely kind of lived up to expectations, which is great because you just never know. Um, so next week, we are going to be doing a review of The Last Duel. Um, as you have started to notice, we've been kind of pushing these shows back uh, a little bit later um, in the last few weeks. And because we are both teachers because we get really tired at the end of the week, it takes us a little bit to kind of get our wind back. So I think that we're going to be trying to push for maybe a midday uh, release, just kind of depending on how our schedules play out. Um, So we will still review the movie from the main movie from the weekend before, and then we'll do that that little preview of some of the movies that are coming out um, so that hopefully... Uh, you have, have some things to think about as you head into the next weekend. Um, so thanks for listening and we will see you next week. See you later.